When people say bison are a keystone species in the prairies, they're usually referring to the ecological impacts of bison, which makes perfect sense. And not to take anything away from the other important ecosystem engineer out here, so beavers, but just given their sheer size and the long distances and massive numbers they once roamed in, it's hard to find another animal that had a bigger impact on the ecology and the indigenous cultures of the prairies than the bison. Aside from humans, that is. I'm Derek Leahy, and in this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're looking at bison and agriculture in the Siksiketsitipi, or Blackfoot Confederacy. Okay, and welcome to the third installment, and potentially the last installment, of the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions Siksiketsitipi, or Blackfoot Agriculture Project series, where we look at the on-farm or on-ranch climate solutions that are good for the land and agricultural operations and our agriculture climate solutions that are a good fit for Blackfoot culture. In our first two episodes of the series, we looked at farming and ranching at Blood Tribe or Gainai First Nation, one of the three Blackfoot nations located in southern Alberta. There is a fourth Blackfoot nation in the Confederacy, but it's located in Montana. Our podcast host, Lance Tailfeathers, who's a member of and a former band counselor at Kainai First Nation, interviewed Cyrus and Roy Weaselfat in episode 44 and Mike Brucehead in episode 48. In this episode, Lance speaks with a very well-known knowledge holder from Kainai First Nation, Dr. Leroy Littlebear. If you take a look at everything that Dr. Littlebear has accomplished, it makes you feel... Well, it makes you feel kind of lazy. He's got a doctorate in arts and science and a doctorate in law. He helped get the University of Lethbridge's Native American Studies program off the ground. He was part of the legal team that got Section 35, which recognizes Indigenous and treaty rights. He was part of the team that got it in the Canadian Constitution Act in the 80s. He played an important role in the Buffalo Treaty, which we talked about in episode 48. And he's done some work with the UN. See what I mean? Makes me feel like I haven't done a heck of a lot with my life so far. He's also going to be one of the keynote speakers at the Organic Alberta Conference in July this year. Lance and Dr. Little Bear hit a wide variety of topics in this episode. They talked about water, they talked about Blackfoot creation stories, uh, talked about the history of on-reserve agriculture, and they also talked about bison. So how come we decided to single out bison, or eni in the Blackfoot language, How come we decided to single out bison in this particular episode? Well, it was mainly because of what Dr. Little Bear said right here. The sun also said to Scarface, which of those animals and so on are the holiest? It's the holiest. The sun said, the buffalo. And he said, the buffalo. And which on the buffalo? What part of the buffalo is the holiest on his body? And he's, the son said, his tongue. So that, that kind of blew my mind. Couple of different reasons for that. First of all, I love cow's tongue. I could probably eat a whole one to myself. And I'm just assuming that bison tongue is just as delicious. Two, and yeah, okay, more the real reason 
Based on my basic understanding of how cattle graze, it's all about the tongue. Cattle wrap their tongue around plants and forage, pull and rip at it, pull it into the mouth, bring it down into their digestive system. It's not like a horse which uses its teeth. Now, based on my very limited understanding of how plants work, it's that pulling and ripping motion with the tongue that stimulates plant growth in grassland ecosystems. So where am I going with this? I am not an expert on bison. I literally spent a grand total of two days working on a bison ranch. They were two awesome days in the dead of winter. But like I said, I don't know a heck of a lot about bison. But I am assuming bison and cattle graze the same way, so using that tongue. Bison grazing in that way in very large numbers shaped the prairies. The ecology out here evolved with it. So yeah, it just blew my mind when Dr. Little Bear said for the six cicates the tippy that that tool that bison used for thousands of years to manage the prairies, to steward grassland ecosystems, that was the most sacred part of the bison. And that's why we're calling this episode Bringing Back Eni. Now, Mike Bruce had in episode 48 taught us a few words in Blackfoot. Mainly, we learned the word Eni or bison. Dr. Little Bear mentions that he is a Nitsitapi scholar at the University of Lethbridge. Now, as far as I understand it, Nitsitapi is the word commonly used in Blackfoot for indigenous people. I believe the literal translation is the real people. Dr. Little Bear also talks about somebody called Napi. Now, Napi has about as many roles in Blackfoot culture as Dr. Little Bear has accomplishments. He's the son, he's a creator, he's also a bit of a trickster. I love Napi stories. They're always really funny and they teach you something. Such as, you know, one day out of frustration, Nappy punched a Saskatoon berry tree and noticed all the berries fall down. And it dawns on him at that point, that might be a good way to harvest berries, you know, just shaking the tree. But actually one of my favorite Nappy stories, and I hope I'm telling this one right, is the origin story of those glacial erratics. You may have seen them before. There's these huge boulders in the middle of nowhere in some parts of the prairies. Now, the story goes like this, and again, I'm, I'm sorry if I can't quite remember it correctly. So, Nappy one day sees a rock and decides it looks cold. So, he puts his bison robe on that rock. At that point, the rock comes to life and begins to chase Nappy across the prairies, leaving erratics along the way. Last words for me before we jump into the interview. There's this reoccurring theme in this episode, and that theme is working together. I don't know about you, but my mind, when I hear the words working together, I automatically think of humans collaborating. Dr. Little Bear does talk about that, but he also talks about the importance of air, land, and water working together, and the importance of us working with those three elements. He also talks about the importance of working together with bison and teaching Blackfoot culture to the youth. At Rural Rustic Climate Solutions, we're pretty focused on building community connections in rural Alberta. But it was good for me personally to have that reminder of the importance of working with and being in right relation with all other living things. I did mention at the beginning of the episode that this might be our last installment of the Six Cicates to Tippy podcast series, or at least it might be our last installment for the next little while. Uh, Rural Roots, we're a pretty small not-for-profit. We're we're super dependent on grants to do this work. 
On top of that, we're not a charity, so the, the kinds of grants we can go after, they're few and far between. So unfortunately, we're down to our last few dollars for the Six to Kate's the Tippy podcast series. We are working really, really hard to find new funding for this project because really, we feel like we just started with this. Uh, in fact, I'm recording this on June 7th of 2022. Well, tomorrow, June 8th is a very special day for Rural Roots. It's going to be our very first workshop. It's taking place at Gainai First Nation. It's a very first workshop designed for Blackfoot land stewards and Blackfoot agriculture producers. We're super stoked about doing this one. We'd love to do more of this in the future. So fingers crossed that we can land some more funding for this going forward. Today I have with us uh, for this podcast is uh, Dr. Leroy Little Bear. I'll ask Dr. Little Bear just to introduce yourself and what you're doing presently and what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, my name is Leroy Little Bear. I'm from the um, Blood Indian Reserve, but I've been here at the University of Lethbridge since 1975 as a uh, professor have been with Native American studies for a long time. I was here except for a couple of years where I went to teach at the Harvard University. But in my present capacity right now, serving as a special advisor to the university president, and my title at the university is Nitsitapi Scholar. But that position is only part-time. The rest of my time, I've been doing other work, mainly revolving around buffalo restoration. And that buffalo restoration, of course, revolves around all this issue about environmental work because the buffalo is what I refer to as an eco-engineer. And so it takes us all to the whole notion about climate change, soils, you know, studies of soils, plant life, other animals, and so on. So it really speaks to the whole notion about eco-balance and so on. So that's what we're that's what we do at the present. I remember uh, through the recent, um, the course of the uh, Blood Tribes uh, tribal election, when we had a, an online forum, and I was particularly interested in uh, some of the things that you shared in one of the forums. Uh, it was regarding uh, the need for us to pay, start paying attention to climate change. So I thought maybe through a Blackfoot lens, if you can share some insight on some of the talk covered, if I remember, I believe it was air, land, and water, and some other particulars. So if you can just share that with us. The whole issue about paying attention to air, land, and water is because it's a very important issue. We as human beings are, you know, we just take it for granted that it's there and so on. But not very many of us think about it in, in a deep sense. And when I say a deep sense is that most of us don't think in terms of all those factors and conditions that make for human existence. In other words, 
we live in a very narrow gap of ideal conditions that make for human existence. And those ideal conditions include the air, the water, the land, and so on. They have to be just right, ecologically speaking, for us to continue to exist. If they're out of balance and so on, we won't be around for a long time. And all you have to do is use a few examples of animals that have gone extinct because their combination of factors and conditions required for their existence have disappeared. And I always refer to our cousin, if I can put it that way, Neanderthal man, who used to be with us, and we have some of his DNA. But where's Neanderthal man now? He's gone. We're still around, see? But the ideal conditions for his existence is gone. And you know, when we're still around. And scientists are already talking about the new species, meaning who's going to take over for humans when humans disappear. So that takes us back to this notion about, hey, air, water, land, those things that give continuing existence to humans. For instance, when you stop and think about it, an adult human being is about 60 to 65% water. A baby, when they're born, is more like about 75% water. So the thing is, if you don't take care of that water, hey, we're not going to be around. That's why our elders say, I am the environment. See, I am the water, and the water is me. We've covered basically what you've shared now in regard to air, land, and water, and that being mindful of that water content. What I'd like to ask you now is basically from our Blackfoot traditional knowledge, how do those things maybe interconnect? Aside from that, is do you have that as a part of the, the sort of your capacity here with the University of Lethbridge or the history of the Blood Reserve or anything that you can share in regard to traditional knowledge in regard to our teachings? Well, you will recall that in our stories in Blackfoot that the creator Sometimes we refer to it as Napi and so on, and there's different versions of it. But you will recall that story where the creator, whether it's Napi or some other being, when he was around, hey, there was nothing but water, nothing but water on the uh, earth. And Remember that story where he started to send different animals 
down into the ocean to see if they can get a piece of dirt and so on. And there's different versions about which animals he sent down. And I think in our version of it was eventually sent down the muskrat. Took him a long time. The muskrat finally came up with a little bit of dirt. And it was out of that dirt that the land came to be, you know, formed, see. And so there's this whole relationship of land and water, see. But see, water existed prior to the land, see. And when you read, when you hear stories such as the lady that came down from the sky. Remember, he pulled the turnip and was looking down. He was told, she was told not to pull that turnip and so on. She ended up coming back down and see, well, Mop Sixy, in other words, the turnip and so on, etc. those plants and so on, and when you hear stories about, like, Scarface, okay, well, Scarface made a trip to the sun. Let me back up. Most people interpret Scarface story to mean that it was the gift of the sweat lodge. It's true. It is part of the story, but there's more to it. In the Scarface story, there was the son told Scarface, one of the most important animals is the crow, the raven. And he said the raven is one of the smartest animals. Why? Because the raven never goes hungry, always finds food, which begins to say, hey, we should be like the raven. We should always find food. In other words, all those plants and so on that are there, we have to be like that raven. The sun also said to Scarface, which of those animals and so on are the holiest? Is the holiest. The sun said, the buffalo. And he said, the buffalo, which on the buffalo, what part of the buffalo is the holiest on his body? And he's, the son said, his tongue. Well, we have the horn society, and we know the importance of the tongue in our ceremonies. The horn society, Motu geeks, it's all about the buffalo, see? And so when you look at the buffalo, hey, it's a keystone species. That buffalo is a keystone species for the land because other animals, other animals kind of revolve around that buffalo because, like I said, it's an eco-engineer. It keeps things balanced and so on. But for us, 
it's not just about subsistence, food and so on. That buffalo is also a keystone species with our culture, our songs, our stories, our ceremonies are connected to that buffalo. And when we're talking about eco-engineering and so on, you will notice that buffalo moves during the summer. It makes a big round about movement, goes out on the plains, and then by the fall, it goes back. By winter, it's in the mountains. Mm. We follow that buffalo, see? And it's such that by it's almost like by following its movements, the plants that are ready f- for harvest, whether for medicinal purposes or for subsistence, happen to be ready. So in other words, the synchronization of that movement happens to be just in time, in harvesting, and so on. And you can also look at it as a big medicine wheel. See, a big medicine wheel movement taking place. So when I say the story about Scarface is... There's much more to it than, than people read into the story and so on. But all these things about that ecological balance, see, are part of it. That's where things like that land, the air, and the water, and so on, are part of it through even things like the wallows that the buffalo makes, it's kind of like making, you know, watering the place. And sometimes you see buffalo start running around in a particular place. It's almost like they're plowing the land where there can be fresh growth and so on. So there would be fresh grass and so on. All those kind of things are the buffalo does. Mm. And that's what we were referring to as eco-engineering. Those are the kind of things we've learned from that brother, if we can refer to it as such. When the Black tribe and Blackfoot people are bringing the buffalo back to our reserve, hey, it's revitalizing our ways again and may starting to remake those connections. You were very instrumental in the Blood Tribes E&E project that brought a herd of bison to Kainai. So if you can share with us as how this came to fruition and the benefits of the project now. The uh, project came about as a result of one of our Students at the time, back in the early 2000s, 2003, 2004, when Paulette Fox was doing her um, 
master's in environmental studies here at the University of Lethbridge. She was working with a number of elders out on the reserve. She invited me to uh, go to one of her meetings with the elders at Standoff. And it was at this meeting that the elders brought up the issue about buffalo. And they said exactly what I've been talking about. They said, you know, we have this very strong relationship to the buffalo in the past. And they said exactly that, our songs, our stories, our ceremonies. But our children, our youth, hear those stories, they hear the songs, and they even participate in the ceremonies. But when we look outside, there's no buffalo to be seen. The thing is, there's, there's nothing out there external to make that connection. We need to bring that buffalo back so that our youth can really make that connection. And the example I give is if you're brought up as a Christian, real strong Christian, and you can have all the Christian beliefs you want, but if you don't see that little corner church, <laughs> if you don't see crosses out there and so on, Maybe you're just a little bit less Christian, <laughs> see, than you would otherwise be. But that church, those crosses and so on, just strengthens your Christian beliefs. That's the situation with our people. And it was on that basis that we started to, with the help of one of our NGOs, Wildlife Conservancy Society, we got together with them and we started to hold these buffalo dialogues to bring about buffalo awareness amongst our people. And it just took off like wildfire. We held these buffalo dialogues all over the place in Blackfoot territory. On the American side and on this side, we held so many of them. For four or five years, starting in 2007 till 2013, they eventually, the elders eventually said, okay, I think we're now all of one mind. We would like to bring the buffalo back, but we can't do it by ourselves. We need partners. Because it'll be an uphill fight to bring the buffalo. There's cattle ranchers, farmers, the government, and so on. We need partners. In the old days, we used to have treaties in Nashis with our other tribes. Maybe we should go and invite other tribes to join us, to help us. Because we know the situation is the same in their tribes, mm. with their youth, so on. That's when we started working on the drafting of the Buffalo Treaty. And we started making trips to other tribes and so on. We called them emissary trips. Mm. In the fall of 2014, we ended up having the 
Buffalo Treaty signed in on the Blackfeet Reservation in September of 2014. And I saw this as a basis where we needed to become ourselves again by making that connection with the buffalo, actually bringing that buffalo back to our people, where the elder said, we need to see that buffalo out there. And so now our tribe have a the start of a small herd, and we're looking to enlarging that herd to realize the dream of those elders. And some of them are gone now. But anything we can do to bring that buffalo back, we're doing. Leroy, part of the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions purpose for these podcasts is not only to highlight what regenerative agricultural looks like within the Blackfoot Confederacy, but to make aware what ag producers are doing regarding that type of agricultural practices on the reserve. Maybe I'd like to ask for your thoughts on some of those challenges, because the Blood Tribe is a big agricultural community. I know we have off-reserve farmers, and then we also have our own members who attempt to do their own farming, or if they have like hobby farms. What's your thoughts are in regard to the overall uh, agricultural practices now? Maybe as compared to before, um, I know we were pretty famous for being really good farmers and ranchers uh, since I was a, many years when I was a child. And also maybe tied into today's themes of uh, regenerative agriculture, such as the greenhouse gases. I guess just that type of uh, responsible agriculture. So give us just your thoughts in regard to our ways of knowing, but also agricultural in general today on, on the reserve or within the Blackfoot Confederacy. In the older days, yes, we were good farmers. In other words, when we shifted from hunting buffalo and we came onto the reserve, we did buy into the farming and ranching, and we were pretty good farmers. And at that time, I would say everything, all the farming we did was to a very large extent organic. But big farming started to creep in. How we can make more and more, you know, profit and more and more bigger and bigger operations and so forth. It was such that our approach, it seems to me, if I can put it this way, was more or less kind of small cash cropping approach. But when big kind of a corporate approach to farming started to creep in, we did not have all the resources and so on as individuals on the reserves to compete and so on. And so the policy started to develop where we started to lease out because as individuals, we didn't have the money to buy tractors and implements and so on. 
When we started leasing the lands out to farmers on the outside, of course, those farmers from the outside, the white farmers, who had access to loans and so on from the banks, etc., they didn't care much about the land in terms of being environmentally conscious. It was in their land. As long as they got a crop, etc., they didn't care. To a large extent, we, in many cases, we didn't know what they were doing. And to a large extent, as long as we got the paychecks from them, we didn't pay much attention. I think it's only as a very recent that we're now starting to feel that impact of the farmers and how they've been using our lands and have not been very conscious and being environmentally friendly. We're just now starting to be aware of it. But on the other hand, I think our leadership, our administration, on the other hand, are kind of caught in a bind. They don't want to be too restrictive. They don't want to be too hard on those people, those renters, and saying, hey, it's bringing income. So it's the same old story. Yes, we want to be environmentally conscious, but the bucks, the big bucks, always somehow get in the way. Now, it's getting to the point where the governments all over the, the world are now also waking up to the environmental notion. As I was saying at the very beginning, they're starting to say, hey, if we don't watch out, we may be going by the wayside. If we don't take care of the water, the land, and the air, hey, we may fall by the wayside in terms of environment and so on. We may go the way of Neanderthal man. We better do something. So now governments are talking 30 by 30. This 30 by 30 means we want to environmentally save our lands at least 30% of it by 2030. To me, that's pretty ambitious. I fully agree with the idea, but I think it's pretty ambitious. But to me, it's a good goal to go for. That's something that our tribes, Blackfoot Confederacy, our reserve, the blood reserve, should be following, should adopt that as a plan. See, should adopt that as a plan. Because if we don't, we'll be, it'll, our reserves will, be, will look like big dumping grounds. And so... This whole notion of regenerative farming should be something 
that we need to really think strongly about. I have never heard of, and I wish they would do it. They should bring all these lessors, all the people that lease lands from the reserve, they should bring them together and tell them, look, we'll lease you our lands, but we want you to be environmentally friendly. You know, here's the standards we want you to meet. I don't think those farmers would buck because the whole idea is catching on all over the place. Mm. So the whole notion of regenerative farming is something that I wish our tribes, Blackfoot Confederacy, I wish they would adopt that as a plan. Thank you. I'm just at the end of my uh, time here, but it's really good that the information you shared. I wanted to make some comments on that as well, because a part of uh, Rural Roots is that the objective is to start those conversations and discussions. So we really appreciate your insight. And uh, this is just the beginning. Hopefully uh, in the future that we'll be hearing from more of our members themselves who have a real concern about the environment uh, and particularly with agriculture and just respecting the land like we, we, we once knew and still do till, till this day. So I'd like to thank you for uh, being a part of our discussion today. If there's any other additional comments that you'd like to make in regard to maybe some of the awareness of agricultural now on the reserve, we can just end with that. The thing is, agriculture is one thing, but also the water is something that we should be doing. I need, I think we need to do more testing of water all over the place to have safe drinking water and so on. As a result, our people will become much healthier. In the older days, even in my lifetime, when I was a kid, it was very seldom that I would hear that somebody had sugar diabetes. But now it's so common. Even young people have sugar diabetes. That's because of all the different types of foods, even the water that's being maybe not safe to drink and so on. Those kind of things we need to take care of so that we would have a much healthier society. If we take care of those little things, our youth in the future, it'll, it's kind of like an investment in our youth. Our youth will be healthy in the future. It's an investment in our young, in our future generations. That's what I see to me. Bringing that buffalo back was really the beginning of it. But we need to do more. We need to do more. Every time I hear little things happening, working towards environmental issues and so on, I just really makes it all the worthwhile and makes, makes us want to do even more. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based initiative empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. 
Rural Roots, runs workshops, farm field days, webinars, and the Regenerative Agriculture Lab. We produce a farmer's blog. We work with rural communities to develop their own renewable energy projects. And of course, we do this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. Lance Tailfeathers is not only our Six Cicates the Tippy coordinator, he is also the podcast host and editor of the series. The podcast is produced by me, Derek Leahy, and the rest of the Rural Roots team is Marie Galanka, Kirsten Mountain, and Shiana Younger. The podcast is funded by a variety of Alberta-based foundations. Lance's interview with Dr. Leroy Little Bear and my parts of this episode were all recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in Métis Region 3. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. And remember, what's good for the climate is good for the farm.